This is the Common Sense Party Podcast. Our mission is to inform our listeners on topics that affect the everyday person. Uh, please rate us, review us, give us five stars, give us four stars, give us three stars, give us two stars. Give us two stars. If you give us no stars, I will assume that we're doing it perfect. We're available on Amazon, Samsung, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. We're still working on Apple. You can reach us at the Common Sense Party Pod at gmail.com, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also support via Cash App. It's available on the site. So today we will be discussing why the Republicans using the death ceiling to hurt poor people. What is CRT? Why is DeSantis blocking an African American AP class without giving any options? The VI AG still fired and the anti-woke law. Why well, we'll be discussing those today. So let's go ahead and get Forever. Yeah, 
right, so we have to go back to 1995 for Batman Forever, one of the worst Batman movies ever. All right, I am your host, uh, Dwayne Otley. This is the Common Sense Party Podcast. Yes, uh, we're going to start out today with the debt limit. The Republicans really don't like poor people, as I stated. Um, that's why they are using it, selling it, uh, holding it hostage to get what they want out of the government. Uh, before we start, I like to say what's up to Baldwin, Boardman, Washington. You are the most. You're in the top five location of downloads. I appreciate it. Uh, just reach out. Uh, you can hit us up at the Common Sense Party Pod. Uh, give us a line. Rate us, review us, give us five stars, give us four stars. If you don't give us any stars, I'll just go ahead and make sure. Um, excuse me, that's fine. That I'm doing it correctly. Okay, we're going to start with the debt limit because as of Friday, no, Thursday, we hit our limit of our credit. So, the Treasury Secretary will float us alone until June. But the Republicans are trying to cut spending, aka entitlements, which they are not entitlements. It's what we pay for. Uh, they're going to go after Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. And again, fine. Uh, since the Republicans control the House, they don't control the Senate or the White House. This is just a political stunt. But they're going to scare you into thinking that we can't pay our bills. But the debt limit is for money that we already allotted to. So this is for past spending. If they want to cut spending, what they they're gonna make it as to cut spending, but they need to do it on future stuff. So let's get but started. Here in Washington, there is a dire warning from Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen to Ooh, congressional leaders. That the United States is expected to hit its borrowing limit as early as Thursday, in two days. That would force the Treasury Department, she says, to take extraordinary measures to keep paying its bills and to prevent a default until early June. Yellen urging lawmakers to act quickly to raise the debt ceiling and, quote, protect the full faith and credit of the country. But it likely will not be that simple. Republicans, of course, now in control of the House and have threatened to use the debt ceiling as leverage to demand spending cuts from Democrats and from the Biden administration. Let's bring in NBC News senior political reporter Sahil Kapoor, who joins us just across the street on Capitol Hill. Sahil, it's good to see you this morning. Um, how close do you think we're going to come here to just violating this thing that used to just be sort of pro forma, that they would raise the debt ceiling and move on, but now is being used as a bargaining chip? And what deals might Speaker McCarthy have made to become speaker that could affect the process here? Willie, that is one of the most important questions on Capitol Hill this year, just how close to the brink will Congress come? Because House Republicans are on a collision course with President Biden on the issue of the debt ceiling. They insist they will not raise it cleanly when the deadline comes up in early June. They want conservative policy provisions attached to it. And this push is being led by many of the same 15 to 20 House Republicans who forced 14 embarrassing defeats for Speaker McCarthy before finally electing him to the job. You know they're willing to use aggressive tactics just based on 
on how they've behaved so far. Look on the screen there. These are some of the things that they've told uh, me that they want. Some of these members say that they want attached to any increase in the debt limit, dollar for dollar spending cuts, a 10-year balanced budget, uh, cuts to the mandatory spending pile uh, of the budget. That includes things like Social Security, Medicare, and food stamps, as well as government funding down to fiscal 2022 levels before the... See? Republicans don't like poor people. Previous government funding deal, one of those Republicans, Congressman Chip Roy of Texas, told me, quote, you only have so many leverage and negotiating points. The debt ceiling is one of those, unquote. Now, Speaker McCarthy himself has not issued a specific list of demands as to what he wants attached to the debt ceiling, but he has endorsed this uh, this uh, tactic generally and said President Biden needs to come to the table, negotiate some changes to the federal budget. He compared the U.S. government uh, to a child with a credit card limit that needs to be reduced, and he said he's not budging. Now, the White House says none of this is going to happen. Their position is no negotiations. They point out that this is not about uh, policy. This is simply about whether the U.S government pays its bills, and that to them is not something that they're going to negotiate on. Let's play what uh, spokeswoman Karine Jean-Pierre had to say. It has been done in a bipartisan way uh, over the years uh, and uh, decades, and it should be done in a bipartisan way, and it should be done without conditions. We're not going to do any negotiations, or and it should be again, again done without conditions. Now, that position is backed by the top two Democrats in Congress, Chuck Schumer and Hakeem Jeffries, who said in a recent letter, quote, default forced by extreme MAGA Republicans could plunge the country into a deep recession, unquote. Now, there is one uh, idea that is being talked about a lot in Washington, as well as on Wall Street, as a way to get around Speaker McCarthy and these conservatives, this idea of a so-called discharge petition, where technically if 218 lawmakers in the House sign it, it has to get to a floor vote regardless of what the Speaker wants. There is a major caveat though this is this would take a long time 37 legislative days which i did the math last night that gets us to mid-may if they want to do that they better start very quickly get a deal in the next few weeks otherwise they're going to be dealing with speaker mccarthy and these house republican hardliners uh, in terms of whether and when uh, the country raises the debt ceiling willie and as of now they only have two days not those 37 nbc sahil kapoor thanks so much for reporting from capitol hill um joe so this will be the question what did speaker mccarthy and it's something we talked about during that process a couple of weeks ago what did he give up what did he promise to some of those members to get their votes in terms of promises about cutting spending about going after the debt that could hold up this process Right. It's a great question. Uh, the Wall Street Journal asking questions also about how the Republicans are going to handle this, talking about the fact that, that, you know, the hard reality of a debt ceiling showdown, Democrats control the White House. Democrats control the Senate. Uh, Republicans have a slim five-vote majority in the House of Representatives, and chances are good, as the Wall Street Journal says, the worst result uh, would be for Republicans to talk tough for months, only to splinter at, in a rout in the end and, to be, and turn the, uh, the House floor over to Democrats to raise the debt ceiling. Uh, the fact is, uh, Willie, that it's one thing for these House Republicans, who, by the way, never protested while Donald Trump was raising the deficit and the federal debt. To record levels every year. Let me say this again. These Republicans, when they ran Congress, went along for the ride and the largest expansion of the federal debt and the deficit in 2017 and 2018 and 2019 and 2020 
He never said a word when Donald Trump was president of the United States. Suddenly, they want to wreck the economy? Republican hypocrites. Because the Democrats in the White House? I mean, this is a lot like when George W. Bush was president. The deficit exploded because apparently Republicans only care about deficits when Democrats are in the White House. But all these people that are being self-righteous and talking about the end of America's economy, they were completely silent as Donald Trump was spending. And the impact, and we've talked about this before, the impact on the U.S. economy could be devastating. Uh, it's one thing if you turn the House floor over to extremists in the selection of a House speaker and let five, six, seven people uh, who are far outside the, the mainstream of, of American political thought and economic thought uh, run that. But here, what are the consequences if the United States default? We showed it before. We probably should show it again, TJ. Uh, you, you obviously have this Jenny... As Janet Yellen has said, you obviously have America's full faith and credit put on the line if this default moves forward, or as we're starting to hear, if you even threaten a default. And what does that mean? That means interest rates are going to explode. That means the cost of housing is going to explode. Americans could lose three million jobs. Uh, uh, they updated it. It could be six million jobs. Middle class Americans, working class Americans, upper middle class Americans. You listen to. If you've got 401ks, they could be shredded, shredded. Uh, if there's a default or even the threat of a default, 30 year mortgages could cost an additional 130,000 because of MAGA extremists, because of five, six, seven people that are actually threatening default in the United States economy, borrowing across the board explodes. Price tag for everyday items explodes. And the U.S. national debt, which Republicans sat by and let Donald Trump take to record levels, could increase by $850 billion. So the question, Mika, really is, is Kevin McCarthy really going to play chicken with the U.S. economy, with American workers, uh, with their retirement accounts, because I've seen this play out before. Mm -hmm. I've seen it play out before time and time again. At the end of the day, small groups of extremists always get run over, because it's not going to be leftists that are against a default. It's going to be small business owners who can't afford the loans going up, that can't afford their costs going up. It's going to be entrepreneurs. It's going to be business owners. It's going to be a lot of Republican contributors right. who are going to be the first to say to Kevin McCarthy, Kevin, let's not be crazy here. Let's not wreck the United States economy. And so then what happens? Does he play this out? And then, as the Wall Street Journal says, and then folds at the end? My guess is that's exactly what he does. Well, if, especially if the crazy caucus holds him to something that he, I mean, has no choice or he'll get kicked out. Remember right. the rules that he agreed to. Right. He's in a bad position. There is no reason why Joe Biden or Democrats in the Senate or Democrats in the House should negotiate with five, six, seven extremists. Exactly. And they're not going to. So this is really up to Kevin McCarthy. Does he want to wreck the economy or 
Does he want to go ahead and try to work out a deal now? Let's go. Yep. So five people, five or six people is going to wreck the entire economy because they don't like poor people. I'll say it again. They don't like poor people. They want to cut food stamps, Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security for the current baby boomers, but I'm 50. Um, they're trying to cut the payroll tax, and that is what funds Social Security, Medicaid, and Medicare. So they're trying to have their cake and eat it to get donations from big business who don't pay taxes already and then don't pay the poor people have them struggle but they're still fat they all most everyone in congress or in the government they think they make more than $400,000 a year so they're going to be the first to feel it so again Republicans do not like poor people and poor Republicans vote for it. I have no idea why. Let's go on to the second clip. And good evening from New York. I'm Ali Velshi in for Chris Hayes. After just two weeks in power and an historically chaotic vote for speaker, House Republicans are kicking off their first high-stakes standoff, and it is all about the debt ceiling, a familiar topic, but the circumstances this time are quite different. On Friday, the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen announced that the United States will hit its debt limit this coming Thursday. The debt limit is the maximum amount, according to law, that the federal government can borrow to pay for its obligations, to pay for things it's already spent money on. That includes all of the really important functions of government, everything from air traffic control to Medicare and Social Security payments. Congress decides what that limit is. So, Secretary Yellen wrote to House Speaker Kevin McCarthy warning him that it is, quote, critical that Congress act in a timely manner to increase or suspend the debt limit, end quote. She went on to explain that, quote, failure to meet the government's obligations would cause irreparable harm to the U.S. economy, the livelihoods of all Americans, and global financial stability, end quote. All of that is true. To be clear, if the United States government defaults on its loans, that would not be a small thing. It's not like paying your credit card bill a few days late. The entire worldwide modern financial system is built on the idea that the United States government is the safest borrower on the planet. But Republicans seem intent on playing with fire with this one. The Washington Post reports that House Republicans are preparing a plan telling the Treasury Department what to do if Congress and the White House don't agree to lift the nation's debt limit, showing how they are, quote, pre quote, preparing to threaten to not lift the debt ceiling without major spending cuts from the Biden administration. Now, I know what you're thinking. We've been here before. Many times, Republicans have made threats. They've even shut down the government a few times on this issue. But sometimes, well, someone always backs down in the end. We'll never fail to raise the debt ceiling. This is all a game of chicken. That's what you're thinking, right? And you might be right. I hope you're right. But I don't think we should underestimate the resolve of these Republicans who have already demonstrated that they are prepared to burn the whole House down. Just listen to the Congressman James Comer of Kentucky. It's not a random Congress congressman. He is the chairman of the House Oversight Committee, and he does not sound like he's going to back down. We cannot continue to operate with these types of deficits. Our national debt 
is one of our biggest threats to our national security. Uh, China continues to have leverage over us because of the basic financial strength of their uh, overall economy versus ours with respect to the national debt. So Republicans were elected uh, with a mandate from the American people in the midterm elections. We campaigned on the fact that we were going to be serious about spending cuts. So the Senate's going to have to recognize the fact that we're not going to budge until we see meaningful reform with respect to spending. All right, so this time the debt ceiling fight is different. For one, the politics are different. The motivations of this new Republican caucus are not clear. It does not appear that they're motivated by self-preservation, considering that voters do not tend to like it when their representatives do things that could thrust America into the economic abyss. And that is what could happen here, because the overall economic situation is also different. Now, right now, we've got a pretty stable economy. Unemployment remains historically low. Wages continue to rise. We're seeing positive economic growth. But we're in a delicate place. Two-thirds of economists surveyed by the World Economic Forum say that they expect a global recession this year. And crucially, we have inflation. It's coming down, but it's still three times as high as we'd like it to be. And there is a big problem with having inflation and a recession at the same time. And here's why. Because you fight inflation by raising interest rates. That discourages people from spending and cools down the economy. But you fight recession by lowering interest rates and encouraging people to spend. And you cannot do both of those things at the same time. If we get ourselves into that position where there is no remedy for the problem, inflation and recession, we could be in for a very difficult few years. Key example in the 90s. China had a stagnant stagnation. That's what it's called. It's called stagnation where you have inflation and you have a recession where you can't do either and you're stuck. And for 10 years, China lost. It was a lost year for China. So we are probably, if these people fuck up, we are on the way to stagnation. Economic growth would be low. Home prices would collapse. Jobs would be lost. Your 401k would be devastated. That's why this is such a dangerous time for Republicans to be playing around like this. If they decide not to lift the debt ceiling, it will undoubtedly start a fiscal showdown that will have major consequences for the American people, probably for the globe. So when they make these threats, they are really playing with your prosperity and that of the whole country. Again, stagnation, where inflation and recession are going to hit the country and will go nowhere. We will possibly lose three to six million jobs. You think it's bad now? And it's going to be caused by five people who don't care about poor people. That's what people don't understand. They don't care about poor people. Uh, this is the Common Sense Party Podcast. Uh, rate us, review us, give us five stars, give us four stars, give us three stars, give us two stars. If you don't give us any stars, I'll just assume that we're doing it perfectly. We are available on Spotify, Amazon Music, Samsung Podcasts, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. We're still working on Apple. Uh, you can reach out to us at the Common Sense Party Podcast. No. The comments party pod at gmail.com. Um, a, 
anyone who voted Republican who listens to this podcast, can you email me and tell me why? What was the reason for voting against your own interests? I just need to know that these people will run the country into the ground to prove a point. That's cultish. Okay, moving on to our next topic. What is CRT? This big thing about critical race theory. Uh, I need to debunk at least one thing. It's not being taught in middle, junior high, high school, elementary school, preschool. It's a graduate level course. It's a graduate level course that is being taught. Hold on one second. We missed one clip. Let's go back to the debt ceiling. Start with the United States just one day away oh. from reaching it. Nope. We did that one already. Sorry. Do apologize. Fine. Okay, we're going to go to CRT and why. These people are pushing this, especially in Florida. Check it out. The whole purpose of critical race theory is to provide Americans with a way to understand the legacy of racism, even though those stories sometimes hurt. It's anti-American training that vilifies white people and demands they apologize. The best learning for students about social studies and about our democracy and our country is the learning where students can really grapple with the issues and really come to a deeper understanding of how our past informs our present. All of this revisionist, woke curriculum, you are not going to do this to our children. Teachers across the country are caught in the middle of the latest flashpoint in America's culture war, critical race theory. So what exactly is it? And why is there a push to ban it in schools? Critical race theory is a body of ideas and a set of approaches to understanding the history and the present of American society that looks at the ways in which racial unfairness have been woven into the fabric of our institutions. In other words, critical race theory, or CRT for short, is a legal academic framework centered on the idea that racism is systemic. It first started to coalesce in the 1970s when Black, Hispanic, and Asian legal scholars were researching the persistence of inequality despite the landmark legal victories of the civil rights era. The legal scholars undertook a set of analyses and investigations that were aimed at trying to make sense of the puzzling persistence of racism in our legal system, in our political system, uh, in our economy. CRT has been studied in fields like sociology, economics, and political science. It's been used to examine issues such as housing and educational segregation, unconscious bias, and criminal justice reform. Contrary to what often critics portray as sort of judging people intrinsically as being racist or not, or making or holding people responsible for, you know, uh, 
of slavery in the past. It is actually to open up a conversation of how we all inherit and live in a society sort of beyond our choosing. We didn't choose where we were born or what racial group we were part of, and yet we have this common history. How do we understand that history? What does it mean for us? Those are the sorts of questions that critical race theorists were trying to grapple The racial reckoning spurred by the police killing of George Floyd brought the decades-old framework back into the spotlight as some schools sought to implement reforms that better address race in classrooms. I think the thing that critical race theory would add to that conversation is that we not sort of confine that horrific example to Derek Chauvin, but to think about how, well, there were other law enforcement officers present including officers of color, who stood idly by. And so that pushes us to think about, you know, this phenomenon as not simply one of, you know, racism by whites against blacks, right? I mean, it makes us think more, you know, more critically, more engaged, more seriously around why do these practices happen? The push against CRT gained steam under former President Trump when he directed federal agencies to end any diversity trainings related to critical race theory. Though ultimately blocked on First Amendment grounds and rescinded by President Biden, the fight over CRT at the state level is still in full effect. The focus on CRT is a way to latch onto a concept that very few people sort of really understand, which sounds kind of scary perhaps to someone not, you know, trained in what it means, and latch onto that as a kind of football in this sort of ongoing fight in the future of this country with regard to racism. As of mid-June 2021, 21 states have introduced bills attempting to restrict the teaching of critical race theory and or impose limits on how race is discussed inside the classroom. And those limits are often vague. And instructors, educators, especially at the K-12 level, will just not go there, will not run the risk of upsetting parents or you know, being misunderstood or drawing the ire of, you know, lawmakers. In Texas, for instance, House Bill 3979 says teachers must explore current events from multiple positions without giving, quote, deference to any one perspective. There's language in this bill, like teachers need to present a balanced perspective on current events, for instance. You know, they have to, they have to do their due diligence to present multiple viewpoints. But what happens if they're talking about an issue in the classroom and they try to present multiple viewpoints, but, you know, the student comes home and tells their parent about the lesson that day, and the parent said, thinks, well, they didn't do a good enough job of prevent presenting this viewpoint. So who decides when the teacher has done an adequate job of presenting multiple perspectives on an issue? It saddens me and disappoints me that instead of really embracing this opportunity to confront our nation's past and to tell authentic and more accurate narratives about experiences of you know diverse people in this country that we're looking to sweep it under the rug we're looking to erase it even further from our memories yep that's what they're doing they're trying to erase it they in a roundabout way they're trying to whitewash history and a generation of the 40s and uh, 40s and 50s maybe who's in power now so people who were born in the 40s 50s and maybe 60s are still in power so 
those white people are scared yes they are scared that the minorities will take advantage or their us I know ancestors their future generations will not have power but statistics show that in 20 maybe 2035-2040 Hispanics will be the majority of the country so they are holding on to power as much as they can they're trying their best to hold on to power which they don't have okay the next clip is something that I disagree with because this is a black guy thinking they're teaching critical race theory in school but his example is uh, check it out when you talk about critical race theory which is pretty much going to be teaching kids how to hate each other how to dislike each other that's pretty much what it's going to all come down to okay my thing is you're a poor parent if someone teaches your child something at school and you can't guide them in the correct way. Go ahead. You gonna deliberately teach kids this white kid right here got it better than you because he white? You gonna personally tell a white kid, oh, the black people are all down and suppressed. How do I have two medical degrees if I'm sitting here oppressed? How do I get in the home going through college but he does not understand that critical race theory proves that the system works against most to all black people um, 
did he have any mentors? Did he, he needs to explain himself because there are laws in the books throughout this country that work against poor people, black, Latino. They are waging a war against LBGT, Asian, Hispanics. I'm good for him that he's teaching people not to blame other people. But it is, since when did we stop being empathetic or trying to learn stuff, learn from our history? Um, I know if you Google black massacres, there is a chart of the number of massacres from, I think, 18, no, probably 1614 to about 1933 around the United States. You know why they massacred black people? Because we spoke out. Because they scared. They are scared. And no matter what he says, I, I, I wish him the best. Uh, this is why I'm doing this because I want people to actually know that critical race theory should brings empathy so we can all get get past the nonsense of the fear of the fear of what those white people in power do because case in point the most safest election in the history of the world where they mailed they did mail-in voting and all black people voted and it scared the shit out of them. It literally scared the shit out of the people in power because the poor people voted. Alright, here is another clip from Bill Maher. Check it out. Hard news. I had it. We're having such a good time and now, now we're going to fight. And now I'm going to... I'm going to make you fight again, but it's okay. But I got to talk about that. Muzzle laws. There's these laws that have been introduced in a number of states to not talk about critical race theory. Now, critical race theory, I must say, to begin with, uh, I hadn't heard the term probably a year ago. Now I hear it every day. I think Americans are just starting to hear it. And I think no one knows exactly what it is. They know it has something to do with race, and it's some kind of a theory. Right? How would you describe it? And then we'll ask how would you describe it. What is critical so, race theory? I will admit that I read a lot of critical race theory in law school. So, you know, the, the work of Derek Bell or John, or Gene Stefanczyk and Richard Elgato. This is the stuff no one knows but you and six other people. Right. So, <laughs> what matters is what is it What is it practically? It's being taught in schools or some form of... Yes, there's a, there's a certain sort of crystallized version of it that is a lot less complex than what critical race theory actually is. But critical race theory essentially argues that racism is baked into all the systems of American society and that any sort of neutral system is in fact a guise for racial power. And so the argument is made by Derek Bell, for example, that Brown versus Board of Education, this is an argument he made in 1991, that Brown versus Board of Education was actually a way for the white community to leverage its own power. It wasn't an attempt to end segregation in public schools. Even things that are purportedly good in terms of race, so long as they uphold these broader systems, things like capitalism or things like the meritocracy, these things are actually just guises for power. And so what that boils down to in sort of practical terms is all disparity equals discrimination. If you can see any stat where black people are underperforming white people, this means the system was set up for the benefit of white people and that white people have a duty to tear down these systems in order to alleviate the racism that's implicit in those systems. When it comes to schools, what this tends to boil down to is kids who are white 
have experienced privilege because the system was built for white people, and we have to change well, the standards. Right. Now, okay, well, so Malcolm, you tell me your definition. Oh, I agree with everything he just said. Oh, oh, great. He's I appreciate you being honest and defining of what it's like to be black American. Right? That, that, that is, I mean, we're talking about a system. That's not fair. Uh, well, saying no, we well, no, I'm just saying I agree with all of those suppositions because they are grounded in truth. Look, when... I'm a, well, you know, and the funny thing is, it's not just African Americans, right? It's also the, the, the Scalp Act of 1749, where for 300 modern dollars, you had to cut off the head or the hair of an Indian to prove that you got them out of the way so they could settle. That's a little bit of American history that people should know about. The Chinese Exclusion Acts of the 1840. These okay. are things we but don't but talk about. Okay. That's, I mean, that's, 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 that's not... It's not true that people don't talk about these things. We all did you learn about... You don't want them talked about? No, that's well, not that, true either. You want to cancel No, them? Malcolm, I'm sorry, you're lying. No, uh, that's that's lying. That's, that's just the, awesome. It is lying. I not only have... I've, I've personally I, talked I about many of the things that you just mentioned. People. I define critical, le uh, critical race theory by citing the actual authors of critical race theory, and you seem to be a pretty good beneficiary of the meritocracy because you have merit, Malcolm. So if you're going to criticize the meritocracy yes. as an outgrowth of white supremacy, then you're going to have to tear down the system that you've succeeded in because you have merit or you know, do not have merit. You know, when my great-great-grandfather ran away from slavery to join the 111th U.S. Colored Troops and fight against the South, keeping human beings as slaves, he didn't think, you know what, in 150 years, my great-great-grandson's going to have to sit on stage and argue with a guy who thinks all that's bullshit. All right? <laughs> The controversy that's made up is people saying that this is being discussed, but this is being taught in schools, that, and that kids should be kept that's, away that's, from that's it. That's not true. It's the not fifth, even a Malcolm, real controversy. Malcolm, the fifth largest school district in America, Clark County, just decided that they were going to lower standards with regard to testing because they wanted to alleviate disparities in outcomes. That is an outgrowth of critical race theory. Can you draw it, a straight line to it? Yes. Really? 100%. Because when you say that the meritocracy is an outgrowth of white supremacy, and then you suggest that I'm somehow denying that slavery took place or that no, your great-great-great-grandfather was a hero because I'm saying that I want people tested when they are in school to see if they are good at school, then, I, I then do, what I, you're reporting to push now is just nonsense. I'm sorry to share bullshit, Malcolm. It's just well, bullshit. No, it's a, but I think it's also a leap to say that he thought that was bullshit. Because that's not what it is. I mean, we're talking. Are we talking about 2021? Or are we talking about 1861? Because the point is, can we talk about 1861 and 2021? Yes, we can. And, and you I, just I, did. I, I don't know. I don't know who is. Then, I don't know who's against talking about history. Well, I mean, okay. I understand that they want to. You know, in Texas. They're talking about removing yes. references to the Ku Klux Klan. They're talking about right. removing. Well, I mean, come on, that's Texas. I mean, how can you watch Forrest Gump without even knowing who Nathan Bedford Forrest is, right? I mean, these are people who are historical figures who did bad things. No one is actually saying we want to go back and erase everything and restart and talk to you about these things. Critical race theory is a subject because the Republican right has made it a subject. No, no, no. No, no not, real school okay. organizations hope, are, are no, mandating I, I, I this for kids. I hope every Democrat in America takes your perspective and they, will, and, and, and they will be shellacked at the polls. Roy Teixeira just wrote a piece, the, the emerging Democrat majority, Roy Teixeira, he just wrote a piece about what he called the Fox News fallacy, a tendency of people on the left to believe that just because Fox News mentioned something, it can't be real. The reality is a lot of this stuff is taught in schools. You mean like they, viruses? Well, uh, okay. Well, can I, can I? Now, now I'm just, I don't know, I don't know. Now I'm just, 
Can I just, as far as what, what people are experiencing in their lives, in their schools? Yeah. Okay, you're right. There are states, like from the old Confederacy, I think, who do want to airbrush history. That's not, I think, the majority in this country. If you ask me critical race theory, if you say, does that mean teach history unvarnished? I would say yes, then I'm totally for critical race theory. If you say, does it mean acknowledging that racism persists today? I would say yes, teach that. Uh, should we have remedial means? That's like affirmative action. There's lots of people who are against that. I'm still for that. I still think when you read the statistics, and I have some of them here, uh, blacks earn 40% less, 90% uh, less family wealth, high poverty high schools, 72% blacks to 31% white, live six years shorter, half as likely to go to college, eight times more incarcerated. These are real statistics. The Nobody question is, what, how do we, what do we do to address them? I, th what, I these are wonderful. real statistics. I, you think we should address them? You think we should address them, right? The question is, what are we doing about it? Because if, ra if critical race theory means making children in school fixate on race, I'm not for that. If it makes, if it's about collective guilt, I didn't do anything to your great-great-great-grandfather. I don't want to be responsible for that. If it's about, you know, a toxicity of just from being born white, uh, if it's about dividing everybody into oppressor and oppressive, oppressed and oppressor, I'm not for that. So there are things that are being taught and are going around that I'm not for, that if that was critical race theory, I wouldn't be for. I agree with you. I don't think that's critical race theory. But it's being, I, okay. you know, well, I think again, what's happened here is that I think what's happened here as this this terminology, sort of like defund the police, has been hijacked and been framed around the left as that they want to do all this, they want to rip down the, right, the so, entire social fabric of America and they want us to be guilty well, about everything. I want you to teach history. I had a lot of people in the military. Hold on. I had a lot of people in the military, senior officers who had to make life and death decisions, who were total morons about the cultures and institutions right, so, and so countries we were going into, and people died because so I of that. Question. I don't need that here. If we agree that history should be taught, why are you defending critical race theory, which is not history? Did I not just say a moment ago that I think that term has been hijacked and that's not okay, what we're so talking about? Okay, so let's say critical race theory. I'm going to go no. back and repeat that I didn't say that. Okay. You, you are literally defending critical race theory by redefining it as just teaching history, which is a cheap semantic trick, and you know it. Is this right. what you do on your show? Because it sucks. <laughs> I I appreciate that, but I, sure I, will, I, will, I will comfort myself sure tonight by a, sleeping on my bed made of money. I'm sure we have an adult. I'm sure we have another adult subject to talk that, about. Well, how about that Andrew Cuomo? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, he's, uh... Okay, again, critical race theory is not being taught in elementary, high school, middle school, junior high. Critical race theory is a college a college subject and again yes republicans or the far right has stapled it to the democrats that we're going to well not we i'm independent that they are going to burn down the system and they feel far right that white people or white guilt is a problem
we don't want to do that again we need to meet in the middle we can teach history and not make them feel bad but if they feel bad that's on them uh, this is the common sense party podcast i'm your host wayne Alley. Our mission is to inform our listeners on the topics that affect them and everything they use. Uh, rate us, review us, give us five stars, give us four stars, give us three stars, give us two stars. Give us any stars. If you don't give us any stars, I'll, I'll just assume that I'm doing it right. We are available on Spotify, Amazon Music, Samsung Path, Podcast, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. And we're still working on Apple. At this point, if you have something to... Fine. If you have something to, ooh, fine. If you have something that you can, that we can promote on our pod, we do it in this section. You can reach us at the Common Sense Party Pod at gmail.com, uh, Instagram, and we are on TikTok also. Uh, moving on to our next subject, we are talking about Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is blocking an AP course because he wants his woke agenda bullshit. All right, check it out. The Republican governor of Florida making news today. Ron DeSantis' administration is blocking a new advanced placement or AP course on African-American studies in high schools. Here's what the State Department of Education wrote in a letter to the college board, which administers AP exams. Quote, the content of this course is inexplicably contrary to Florida law and significantly lacks educational value. No mention in the letter of what law would be violated by the course or what is in the curriculum was objectionable, but a DeSantis spokesman tells CNN the course quote, <coughs> excuse me, leaves large ambiguous gaps that can be filled with additional ideological material, which we will not allow. Joining me now too, CNN political commentators, Bakari Sellers, former state representative of South Carolina, hosts the Bakari Sellers podcast, also former Trump campaign advisor and now a supporter of Ron DeSantis, David Irvin. Bakari, what does it say to you that the administration is specifically, excuse me, I'm coughing, doesn't identify what part of the course they object to? We're talking about an AP African-American studies course. Well, Anderson, I actually think they said all they needed to say. And they said this African-American uh, studies course doesn't have any value. Um, you know, I've been speaking to my friends about this uh, via text, et cetera. And, and one of them just recently texted me that they're trying to erase our history. And that's exactly what they're trying to do. I mean, this is anti-intellectualism. This is anti-black racism. Um, this is uh, systemic. When we talk about systemic racism, this is exactly what we're talking about. It's the way by which we go about ensuring that people cannot learn about the plight and burdens that African-Americans in this country went through and go through today. I don't know what voids Ron DeSantis is talking about. I haven't seen the curriculum, but I'm actually an African-American studies major. I'm actually the son of someone who was a director of an African-American studies program at the University of South Carolina, who, oh, by the way, was a member of SNCC and happened to be shot in the civil rights movement. And so I just think it's a damn shame what Ron DeSantis is doing, but nobody's going to stop him because they're afraid of what may be next for Mr. DeSantis. David, obviously there was a lot of talk about critical race theory, uh, and that was a focus of a target uh, among in a lot of states by Republicans. This is African-American studies, which is different. A Democratic Florida State Center tweeted that Florida currently has AP classes for European history, Japanese language and culture, German language and culture, Italian language and culture, as well as Spanish language and culture, adding, quote, it's 
So, quote, it's crazy how AP African-American studies made the chopping block in Florida. To that... They don't like poor people. What do you say? Yeah, so Anderson and, and to Bakari as well. Bakari, I did, I did, believe it or not, read that 82-page syllabus today, which I can send to you. And, and the, the letter that was sent to the, to the AP board says, listen, we dismiss this as presented. In the future, if the, if the college board would like to work with us on something that would, would meet our criteria, we'd be happy to consider it again. And, and from what I was told to Anderson and Bakari, that this, this was declined because it sought to teach progressive doctrines such as intersectionality and critical race theory, which are violative of uh, April 2022 law that Governor DeSantis sent, uh, the, this, uh, this anti-woke act. I'm not, you know, I'm simply telling you that what I've not delved in and read every, you know, every chapter of the syllabus, but I glanced through it. It's pretty, it's pretty dense. And I'm telling you what the reason was that they, they, the state of Florida, Governor DeSantis said that they believe in education and not indoctrination. Bakar, what do you make of that? I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, I have a great deal of respect for David Irvin, but, you know, we just got done celebrating uh, Martin Luther King's birthday and you have individuals who, who say these quotes of, uh, you know, the I have a dream speech, et cetera, these famous quotes by King, but they don't even know who he was because we don't teach the history correctly. People whitewash his legacy. They don't talk about the fact that he was a rabid revolutionary. They don't talk about the fact that he was talking about wages, improving the plight of black folk day in and day out. And I think that the fact that we refuse to teach the accurate history of this country, we refuse to talk about April 4th, 1968, where Dr. King was assassinated, February 8th, 68, the Orangeburg Massacre. We refuse to talk about June of that year where RFK was shot or the fact that you have all of these black soldiers coming home from a war in Vietnam being treated like second-class citizens. That's not, you know, something that is a fairy tale. That is a history of who we are. And Ron DeSantis is, and this administration in Florida are completely ignorant to that fact. Everything we talk about about our history and who we are is not critical race theory. My being is not critical race theory. It's American history. Wrap your heads around that. If you're ashamed of it, that's on you. But let's at least educate the yeah. youth the correct way about what our history is. Bakari, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just giving you the reasonings that, yeah. were, that were put forth by the governor's office and says in the letter saying, as presented, we find this uh, we find this AP course doesn't pass our muster. Please come back with us with a, you know with another course. Or if you'd like to work with us, we're willing to do that. I'm not sure they're dismissing it out of hand. He's saying we're not going to do it at all. David, just politically, does it do you does does this work for Governor DeSantis? I mean, is this a popular thing, you think, for Governor DeSantis yeah, I, look, among, look, among Republican voters in Florida? Yeah, look, I, I, I think that the governor, right, has taken up this anti-woke, you know, woke comes to die in Florida. Right. And, and it's uh, he's taken it up pretty, pretty aggressively. I'm not quite sure that, that this this may have been rolled out in the best way. I think a lot of explanation should be a little bit more explaining should have been done on this because I don't think it's being it's dismissing the AP course out of hand. I think it's just dismissing this particular AP course. Right. It's just in general, AP courses are actually sort of the most prestigious in the public education system. AP courses are those are the most prestigious courses. It, it, it's actually, you know, a lot of attention is actually put into them and thought is put into them. They're kind of their advanced placement. Um, so it's, it's often the students who have excelled the, the most who are able to even qualify for those courses it's interesting that this is probably the i mean i don't know how many ap courses the DeSantis administration has taken issue with but i'm probably guessing not any others <laughs> I, I, I would i would i would guess that you're correct anderson and again you know i, I think that there's you know 
It could use better articulation. Again, I, I don't think yeah. the DeSantis administration, look, I'm not speaking for them. Yeah, I'm I just know. taking this letter and interpreting what it says and saying, I believe that they say, as presented, this course um, you know, didn't pass muster in the law that we just passed. Come back again, and we're willing to sit down and talk. Right. Uh, David Irving, the party sellers. We'll see what happens, if anything. Thank you. Bullshit. That is bullshit. Just because you pass a law against anti-woke nonsense, that doesn't mean that is right. Anti-woke. Anti-empathy. Thank God I, I moved out of Florida. I feel so sorry for him. All right, this is our next clip. From Florida Governor Ron DeSantis that woke goes to die in Florida and now his latest move seems to align with that. The Republican governor's administration is blocking an advanced placement African-American history course from the state's high school curriculum. In a letter obtained by ABC News, the Florida Department of Education rejected the course, calling it inexplicably con contrary to the Florida law and significantly lacks educational value. Joining me for more, ABC News Deputy Political Director Avery Harper. Wow, Avery. So I guess let's start with how did the Department of Education make this determination? Right. Well, we don't know. It's not entirely clear. I've asked the Florida Department of Education for more information about how it came to this decision. Uh, what we do know is that uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has made issues surrounding education uh, central to his reelection effort and uh, to his new term. If you uh, listen to his speech from his inauguration earlier uh, this month, he did say that Florida is where woke goes to die. And uh, he said that he is trying to root out trendy ideologies from the state school. Uh, that has largely translated to not only uh, restrictions on conversations and curriculum about race, but also about gender identity and sexual uh, orientation. Right. So, and we've talked about how DeSantis is behind the, the Stop Woke Act, which, uh, as you touched on there, you know, avoids these race-related content in workplaces and schools and colleges. But what exactly was set to be taught in this specific course? Right, so this course is an advanced placement course that allows for high school students who elect to take this course uh, to get college credit if they pass an exam at the end of it. Uh, and what the College Board has described this course as being uh, is a exploration of the contributions and the experiences of African Americans across this country uh, in areas such as political science, uh, history, arts and humanities, and geography, and, and lots of different things. So Florida State Senator Shervin Jones tweeted this out, uh, saying that schools have AP classes for European history, Japanese language and culture, German, Italian and Spanish. Have we heard from the DeSantis administration? AP for the fucking Nazis. The fucking Nazis. Uh, about what makes African-American uh, studies any different. Right, the... Florida Department of Education has really been tight-lipped about this, uh, but what I think this really lends itself to is uh, the conversations that other Republican-led states are having about uh, curriculum and conversations in the classroom uh, about race and uh, about race relations. And so uh, what we've seen in Florida is this uh, pervasive effort to uh, root that out, not only in schools, but also in the workplace as well. So we're still waiting uh, for more answers from the Florida Department of Education about uh, what this exactly means. Well, and also, too, advanced placement courses, AP courses, count for college credit. So is there any chance that Florida's rejection could actually derail the courses rollout across the country? 
Right. I, I reached out to the college board. I was spoke, speaking with representatives from the college board earlier uh, today, and, and they essentially said that uh, they're going to continue to pilot this course. This is a course that is being piloted in 60 high schools across the country. Uh, it says in part, like all new AP courses, AP African American Studies is undergoing a rigorous multi-year pilot phase, collecting feedback from teachers, students, scholars, and policymakers. The process of piloting and revising uh, course frameworks is a standard part of any new AP course, and frameworks are often significantly changed as a result. So we're waiting to see what happens there. Yeah, so are we. We'll stay on the story. Avery Harper, thank you so much. So you're telling me a course that is a pilot program that will make changes in the future can't start in Florida. So hopefully, hopefully, Ron DeSantis will try to run for president and lose and get kicked out of office because they happen for Asians. They locked up Asians uh, during the World War II in San Francisco. They happened for Italians. They happened for Germany. Nazis. And Italy had the Crusades, I think. But this is a example of fascism. They start with education first. They try to censor education. Then they go for the poor people. I just don't get it. I really don't. Uh, this is a Common Sense Party podcast. Uh, rate us, review us, give us five stars, give us four stars, give us two stars. Give us any stars, because if you don't give us any stars, I'll just assume that we are doing it perfectly. We're available on Spotify, Google, Samsung, uh, everything mostly except Apple. We're still working on Apple. Okay, our next topic is uh, the woke law that he, uh, sorry, anti-woke law. And I don't understand why, but hey, that's what they do. Check it out. That's making its way through the Florida legislature, and it would ban public schools and private businesses in the state from making people feel discomfort or guilt based on race, sex, or national origin. The bill has the backing of the state's Republican governor, Ron DeSantis. It's been approved by the Florida State Education Committee, and it's called the Individual Freedom Bill. While the text doesn't actually mention critical race theory, DeSantis has said that the bill would help keep it out of schools and the workplace. The term was also used in an analysis of the bill that was given to state senators. CRT itself, we should note, is not taught in primary education, and critics charge that efforts to alter school curriculum based on CRT are a way to whitewash racism in U.S. history. The Democratic vice chair of the Florida Education Committee, Shervin Jones, tells CNN, quote, they are talking about not wanting white people to feel uncomfortable. Let's talk about being uncomfortable. My ancestors were uncomfortable when they were stripped away from their children. Let's discuss the bill further with Florida State Senator Lori Berman. She's also a member of the state's Senate Education Committee. Uh, Lori, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Uh, I think that just hearing the idea on paper or the premise, right, I don't think anyone should be made to feel bad about their sex, national origin, or the color of their skin. So why is this bill a problem? Hi, good morning, Boris. Thank you so much for having me. 
This bill is a problem because it will lead to a huge chilling effect in the state of Florida. Think about it. If you're a teacher, how do you know where you're drawing the line, where you're making a child, quote, feel guilt or anguish? And part of the bill also says you can't indoctrinate children or people in the workplace into a specific theory. So how do you know where you're drawing the line? When you're a teacher, you're teaching history, you're teaching about slavery, you're teaching about Japanese internment camps, you're teaching about the Trail of, of Tears. Those are all horrible things that happened in our American history, and people should feel shame that those things happen. So I think it will be a chilling effect because you will have teachers who will not be teaching about the subject, and there won't be critical thinking and full discussions because teachers will be afraid of being accused of violating this state law. Uh, I want to make sure our viewers know that we invited the bill's sponsor, State Senator Manny Diaz, to come on the show to, to share his point of view. He, he did not respond to our request as of this morning. He says, quote, We shouldn't be teaching students, for example, in a diverse classroom that someone is automatically racist or sexist or anti-immigrant by the sheer nature of their background. Again, you a you are a fucking bad parent. If a teacher tells your child that you're racist and you do not explain to them your history, why are parents so much fucking cowards? I'm I'm curious if that's something that's happening in a systemic way in Florida. It sounds like what you're suggesting is that the way that this bill is being presented and what it actually does are two different things. A absolutely. There is no, just as you mentioned in your discussion of this bill, there is no teaching of critical race theory in the state of Florida in the K through 12 system. And there is no teaching of making anybody feel bad because of their race or their sex um, in the state of Florida. This bill is really just a political bill put forth by the governor. He talked about it in his speech. He calls it anti-woke legislation. It's part of that whole theory that he's putting forth, and it's just to rile up his base. This is not occurring in our schools. We had our school superintendent, and he was asked the question, and he said about critical race theory, and he said, we don't teach critical race theory, we teach history. And that is what Florida teachers and Florida principals and Florida supervisors of, election, of, of education are doing in our state. And so there's no need for this bill other than to rile up the, the extreme uh, Republican right-wing part of the party. Lori, I'm, I'm curious about how this bill actually works, how it aims to battle that quote-unquote discomfort. Um, say that someone in your office displays a symbol that makes you uncomfortable, like a Confederate flag, for instance. How would the law... Man, whoop they fucking ass theoretically help this person well the bill in terms of the employment it only it, they, we were told by the sponsor it's not as clear as it should be that it only goes to training so it's not really going to address that issue of what somebody puts up in their office they're saying you shouldn't be doing training of implicit bias you shouldn't it, be doing so, training. so diversity training yeah, essentially yeah. right correct they're basically mm -hmm. saying don't be doing diversity training in your workforce and then the in terms of whether you do it or not the enforcement would be done through the Florida Human Rights Commission, and that would be where it could be done. But my colleague 
Senator Tina Polsky pointed out that this is going to lead to a lot more employment lawsuits because you will have uh, disgruntled employees who are fired or whatever bringing lawsuits under this. And you could have lawsuits from parents in the educational system also. So it's really a bad bill because it's going, it's so vague, it's so overbroad. We're not even sure how it will be interpreted. Um, and I'm, it's unfortunate that they're moving it forward right now in the Florida legislature. So just to, to be as precise as possible, diversity training, this thing that's essentially done as a part of trying to make people feel more included when they're part of a group in a corporation or, or even teachers in a school so that they know how to best address people so that they don't say things that are harmful, you essentially we, can't... No, you can still do the diversity training, but they're saying it can't be done in a manner that you're making people feel guilt or anguish or psychological distress. So that's the question is where do you divide, how do you determine that you've done that? You can still do the diversity training, but how, who's gonna decide that that training went over the line that they've drawn in the sand here? Man, whoop that nigga ass. That's what that bill, that's what you need to do. If a dude come up and tell you no diversity training, man, whoop that nigga's ass. All right. Protect white people's feelings. Check this out. Leave it to the state of Florida to take anything to the next level. Florida Senate Education Committee just passed a bill called Individual Freedom that would prohibit schools and private businesses from making white people feel uncomfortable when teaching or training about historic racism because According to Florida's snowflake-in-chief, Governor Ron DeSantis, who's been pushing for, it, for the bill, it's white people who need emotional and psychological protection in America. Joining me now is Tim Wise, anti-racist educator and author of Dispatches from the Race War. Tim, thank you very, very much uh, for coming to the Sunday show. I mean, th this is white fragility. This bill and the purpose is white fragility personified is it not right i mean these are the people who say white fragility is a made-up concept uh, and yet they demonstrate it you know every time they open their mouths but but let's be clear what it really is this isn't a debate about history um, these folks aren't concerned about that how we remember the past and how we teach it and talk about it affects how we understand the present and how we shape the future. So when they want to get rid of certain textbooks that talk about systemic racism in history, when they want to purge that very term from the curriculum of schools, the reason they're doing that is that if you get rid of a systemic analysis that says our current inequities stem from the inertia of hundreds of years of unequal access and opportunity, what are you left with? You're left with an analysis that says, well, the problem really is black people. You know, black folks don't work hard enough. Their values aren't good enough. Their culture is broken. They are essentially saying, let's remove any type of analysis that looks at the society and the structures so we can just blame the victims of inequality. And the irony is, as they say they want to protect parents and children from feeling shame, they only care about white parents and children because if the only explanation you have for inequality is black people are broken that's going to create shame and pain for black folks and they don't care that's what this is right i mean it, 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 these these bills although they're written to be very broad 
they're not, these are not two-way bills. This is a one-way street kind of bill. And Tim, what are they so afraid of? Seriously, what, what are they truly afraid of? Well, I think what they're really afraid of is that young white kids, many of whom got involved in thinking about and being active around racial justice after the murder of George Floyd, but the largest racial justice uprising in history, millions of people joining in that movement. Their fear is that if you talk about systemic racism and the truth of our history, a lot of those young people who have an innate sense of justice are going to want to get involved side by side with black and brown folks to fight for justice. They don't want that. Right. If you're really concerned, for instance, about white folks feeling bad about white folks in history, it's because you're teaching the wrong white people. If we were to talk about white abolitionists, if we were to talk about white folks in the civil rights movement as allies, you could deal with the guilt and the shame. But they don't want to talk about those white people either because they produce role models for a different way of living in this skin. And the Ron DeSantis's of the world don't want white folks to think about how to act in solidarity with black and brown peoples. That's the point. Mm-hmm. Tim, you know, uh, on social media, uh, there have been lots of memes are, are out there. Uh, one was about, you know, the, the, the people, the young people who yelled at Ruby Bridges trying to go to school are now don't now don't want their grandkids to learn about how they yelled at Ruby Bridges trying to go to school. Um, right. How much of this? is the fact that there some white people don't want to be asked the question where were you what did you do where was grandma where was grandpa during this time that's it and and the, and the reason they don't want kids to ask that question is we know the answer the polls from the early 60s in 1962 and 63 show that the vast majority of white americans between two-thirds and 85 percent said that we already had equal opportunity in this country and we didn't need civil rights legislation we didn't need protests we didn't need marches most white folks have been sleeping on injustice forever that's not all white folks but that's the majority and if young people realize that they're going to start asking questions of where their parents and grandparents were. And as you said about Ruby Bridges, I mean, all of these folks trying to ban books about Birmingham in 63, Ruby Bridges, Rosa Parks, what they're saying in effect is that black children were apparently old enough to face those water cannons in Birmingham. Ruby Bridges was old enough to face those tomato-throwing bigots in New Orleans. But Susie Suburb in white America today is not old enough to learn about it. This is the ultimate peak white fragility, and they confirm the very thing that they deny every time they open their mouths. I mean, this is a Sunday show. There's a lot of preaching going on in this show, and it's all very good. Tim Wise, thank you so much for coming to the Sunday show. Thank you, Mr. Wise. Yeah, they scared as shit. They don't understand that. But what's going to happen is they're going to get their ass kicked. They are going to get their ass kicked at the polls because this is a different generation. This is a different generation that they ain't going to stand for shit. If you haven't learned anything from the past two elections where they just those young people who are like maybe 16 and 17 they showed up when they first became able to vote that's why they 
in Georgia. That's why they changed the law where you don't automatically register to vote when you get your license. Because back in the day, once you got your driver's license, it automatically registered you to vote. You had your vote, it sent it to your home, and they did it. So that's what they did. That's what they scared of. All right, moving on. Guess what? The Virgin Islands Attorney General is still fired, and we still don't know why. Yes, I am from the Virgin Islands, and this lady sued J.P. Morgan, a.k.a. Chase, because they knew something. Check it out. A new lawsuit from the U.S. Virgin Islands Attorney General Denise George accuses J.P. Morgan Chase of facilitating Jeffrey Epstein's sex trafficking operation and covering it up, according to the lawsuit. The bank and its employees knew they were facilitating Epstein's sexual abuse and sex trafficking conspiracy to coerce young women and underage girls to engage in commercial sex acts, according to the accusations. According to Insider, the bank concealed its conduct by failing to follow red flag laws. In the section of the lawsuit that details how J.P. Morgan allegedly turned a blind eye to Epstein's conduct is heavily redacted. A representative from J.P. Morgan declined to comment to Insider on this matter. Insider writes, The Virgin Islands prosecutor Denise George lost her job days after suing J.P. Morgan in connection with the Jeffrey Epstein investigation, according to Law & Crime. George's office did not immediately respond to Law & Crime's request for comment sent yesterday. So this is a kind of a crazy story. The prosecutor in the U.S. Virgin Islands, where uh, Jeffrey Epstein's sex island was located, filed suit making these um, allegations under, uh, I think, RICO law. And almost immediately is fired. As I've read, there has been no alternative explanation for why she was fired. And the timing is sort of incredible. Yeah, she's filing a lawsuit alleging a cover-up, and then she herself gets fired. You, so you would say, I mean, the reaction many people would have is that, uh, well, the cover-up is continuing. She is right. being punished for trying to reveal what is going on with J.P. Morgan Chase. Now, we don't really know much, many of the details here. Um, right, the other, the other side, you could argue, is maybe the governor of the Virgin Islands thought this lawsuit is totally has no merit and she's just trying to make a name for herself or something and it will be embarrassing and so then he fires her for doing that although he didn't say he was firing her for that reason right he just said like thank you for your service right you You're could dumb. offer an alternative explanation that would yeah. help to assuage people's feelings that there's something conspiratorial so, going on so here. what do you think is the again because it's it's not clear yet what do you think is the jp morgan connection that he's making payments to various people, or maybe he's paying off underage people or so, something, and, so lot, and that is something that J.P. Morgan should have taken notice of? So a lot of the court documents are redacted, which prevents us from knowing all of, of what there is to know. However, what we do know is that in the lawsuit that was filed, uh, the plaintiffs accused the banks of, quote, providing the requisite financial support for the continued operation of Epstein's international sex trafficking organization in violation of the Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act, that's the RICO Act, um, a U.S. law used to target illegal conspiracies that was originally designed to target organized crimes. Now, RICO law has been used in ways that are gross overreaches uh, to get people who I would argue should not be overpoliced and criminalized, uh, but it also has been the thing that has enabled law enforcement
enforcement to get some genuine criminals that otherwise are careful enough to avoid it's also something kinds of charges. people who don't know anything about the law always say oh is that rico <laughs> usually it's not <laughs> usually that is not rico well the, the lawsuit goes on to, to say that epstein's sex trafficking adventure was not possible without the assistance and complicity of a financial institution specifically a banking institution which provided his operation with an appearance of legitimacy and special treatment to the sex trafficking venture thereby ensuring its continued operation etc etc so look i think the implications here for the virgin islands are potentially significant it is a place that is known to be a tax haven and a place that provides a lot of economic opportunities for folks who are trying to avoid certain regulatory restrictions in the united states and other parts of the world and gets a lot of revenue from being a haven of sorts so it could be that there's a lot of political pressure on uh, this prosecutor uh George here, not to open the door to oh, the Oh, I get of, it. Not to, okay, not to spook right. potential people who are going to put their assets or right. their banking. For whatever reason, islands. including yes. potentially sex trafficking reasons. So, I mean, this is a big question. I mean, we saw this a little bit with the, the Kanye fiasco, the choice of J.P. Morgan to shut down his accounts, kind of self-politicizing, inserting themselves, and being something other than a kind of neutral provider and carrier in that sort of a situation. And it is interesting to see whether or not, you know, are they going to, you know, continue to say, oh, I'm just neutral. I'm allowed to do whatever I want. It's not my business to get involved in people's affairs. Or is this a case where they had bigger responsibility not to continue to bank for someone? I mean, it, it, and it, it's got a, it's an odd comparison. Jeffrey Epstein had already been convicted of all kinds of sexual crimes previously in his life before his last imprisonment that resulted in his death. And banks were happy to continue banking with this known convicted sexual oh, I think we should read this statement from J.P. Morgan. They say, the, this is a statement from J.P. Morgan, they say the company ended its relationship with Epstein long before his ongoing misconduct became known. Since then, J.P. Morgan Chase has cooperated with investigations into Epstein and others. Do they mean the second Accusation and trial, or the first one know. from whatever it was, the late 90s. Right. Yeah, well, it's, it's an interesting case. It will be interesting to see if there's actually any more substance. There's a lot. I mean, there's so many institutions with tied to Harvard, right? Yeah, absolutely. Harvard, I know, had to investigate itself. A absolutely. I mean, Jeff Epstein was a high school teacher. What was it, Dalton? A, a very tony uh, private school in New York City. I mean, people ha who have had reason to know about his proclivities have put him in positions of power and proximity to young women for decades and it is shocking frankly how few heads have rolled over that outside of you know jeffrey epstein's own proverbial head so look we'll continue to follow this and we'll have more rising right after this all right follow the money she probably got fired because hint hint people didn't want it to come out and jason J.P. Morgan, a.k.a. Chase, didn't want to pay a fine, so uh, we got to dig into it more. So if anyone in the VI listens to this, please give us some info at the Common Sense Party Pod at gmail.com. Also available on Instagram or Facebook. Okay, right now we're going to go to a little VI history or Caribbean history uh, with Gabrielle. Check it out. And have a general mistrust for doctors and the government. This mistrust is not without reason, as there have been numerous occasions where the government and the medical community have used this region and its people for experiments, and have been doing so for hundreds of years. 
On the island of Jamaica in the 18th century, there was a doctor called John Kier. Kier created an experimental inoculation for smallpox and tested it on over 850 enslaved people on the island. There were some instances that the same person was given the inoculation multiple times. In his mind, these people were seen as dispensable, and so there was no medical malpractice. In 1773, in the island of Grenada, there was an outbreak of a disease called Yaz. European doctors consistently tested cures on the enslaved people on that land, despite knowing that the enslaved people knew how to cure the disease. Finally, they decided to compare the cures from the enslaved people and from the European people, and you can guess who won. The natural remedies from the enslaved people. It yes. Medical Biopractice has been with us for a long goddamn time. So, why? Why? Why do we put up with this nonsense? But it, it tears what it is. This is the Common Sense Party Pod. Uh, rate us, review us. Give us five stars. Give us four stars. Give us three stars. Give us two stars. Give us any stars, because if you don't give us any stars, I'll just assume that I've been doing it correctly. This is us for this week. Uh, next week, or maybe the following week, we will explore more with the debt ceiling limit. Try to find out why. This lady has been fired from AG's office just because she was doing her job. And we gotta go more in depth with why the strings are being full. We gotta follow the money. So, please. Come back to us again so we can give you more common sense. We're out. Thank you.